0: everyone and welcome to another american scouser podcast i just freaking noticed we all wear red today by the way but i guess it goes kind of with the theme so i am your host Timushin as always and with me today our usual crew galley what's going on man what's happening gentlemen ah not too shabby not too shabby there's a lot going on and a lot to talk about but let's get uh, mr pumpkin over there and introduce bickler what's happening man i'm here how are you you are here and we're set to go. And as always, we all know what we start with. Your guys' favorite segment, well, it's the segment I enjoy. Uh is our daily well weekly trivia section. I wish it was daily. I enjoy this that freaking much. Okay. So I figured you guys would be preparing for the United game or something like that. So going a whole different direction, kind of like went off of Mo on this one. Uh, he's been unreal. And we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about Ken's uh, article on our website this week. But so with Mo, I looked into some numbers and I wanted to kind of get your guys for this trivia. The top three goals per game ratio in Liverpool history. Of course, we're starting with you, Bickler. What do you have? Oh man, I actually kind of like when I was—I was like, ah, that's kind of like. There were a couple of names I thought that would be in the top three. I
1: mean, I'm trying to—I'm trying to think back at how long some of these players are at the club. Uh,
0: yeah, I should mention that. So the they would have to have at least played a hundred games for the club. Let me go.
1: All right, I hate this answer, but I'm going to go Owen.
0: Hold on. By the way, let us not forget our favorite oh, this fantasy is football owner Kelly is with us. So oh. wait, wait, wait! No,
1: no, no, no. No, no, no! There's big news in the Galavan house. We shouldn't,
2: we shouldn't go to this news yet. There's big news. <laughs> we're trivia for this.
1: We can Kelly has taken the lead.
0: <laughs> Kelly has taken the lead this week. Holy moly! Okay, we gotta get to that. Let's get this trivia out of the way now. I don't even care about the trivia. No, I just no, no, no! Let's just <laughs> do that instead. So now we're partying.
1: I are you are you asking me? I just gave you an answer. Oh, what was the answer? Who
0: are the top three? Give me the answer again.
1: Oh, top three. I thought you said. I thought you wanted to give us the number one.
0: Oh no, top three, so that at least you can get a couple of them right. You yeah? uh,
1: know. yeah, that's that's good. I like that. Um, <laughs> I I don't I don't know. I never know these. I'm gonna go Mo Salah, uh, Michael
0: Owen, Ian Rush. Hmm. So Matusha, Suarez, Torres, and Ium. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, nice. See that coming. Uh, okay. So Jamie is joining us late. So once again, the question, Galley, for you is the the top three goals per game ratio in Liverpool history, and the prerequisite is they would have to have played at least a hundred games for the club. What do you have? I'm gonna
2: say Owen Salah, Mane.
0: Mm. So obviously, Mo was part of the answer. Uh, hence, the it made it to trivia this week. Uh, so I'll give it a couple of minutes over here. Let's people. Uh, brainstorm and see if they come up with some names. I guess before I was going to talk about the Watford game and celebrate that a little bit, What? but with this Bickler's flash news over here, uh let's touch up on fantasy first. Not that I, I don't even know what I did or where I'm at this week, but Bickler and I, my, I have two goals in fantasy, beating Bickler and making sure Kelly beats Gally over here and yes i do see that kelly is ninth right now and you are a measly 11th there galley what's going on how are you going to close this gap of three points
2: well first of all i've already closed two of those points because i'll get a sub eventually later on today and then those two points will come in so i'm one point behind the wife right now you're absolutely right
0: Behind is behind, my friend. I just noticed that I made a huge jump into the 35th place. Uh, I didn't want to waste time, keep paging Don over here to get to you, Bickler. Where are you at?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Well, I mean, I have to give you some reason to get up in the morning, right? So, I mean, I'm still down far enough. I like how you set yourself up with two goals, one which you knew was completely achievable. So you're 50% of the way there. I'm also slightly nervous about the amount of interest and in trivia's question tonight from people watching because that means that like we're for sure going to have to continue to do it.
0: Which okay. makes
1: it
2: worse yeah, and it's worse. Thing. It's already it's already it was already the worst segment of the entire program every week before my wife decided to chime in and derail it completely by taking it off the racks and making an option to make fun of me instead of Paul for once.
1: I'm fairly certain that like Tim is like half these people are planted by Tim anyway. Make sure you come <laughs> in and chime <laughs> in during trivia. <laughs> I, I will have, have to
2: bought. say I have to be fair here. Kelly asked me earlier in the week, look at the team with her, give her a hand on different things. She talked about wild carding and I looked at the standings and I was like, yeah, no, you're eight points behind me and you're going to have to figure this out this week on your own. So she decided, she was like, yeah, I don't have to do much. I'll just make one transfer and I'll still go ahead of you and make my team in such a better position than yours. So she basically is a point ahead of me. Has her wild card, and we'll probably.
0: I feel that Tim does that to me every week too. So we should, yeah. I wish you should record the trash talk that happens in the household regarding fantasy. So let's give the answer because there's a bunch of guesses over here. So let's give the answer right away. Gordon Hudson is number one. I did not see that coming, obviously. uh, But in terms of the ratio, it's. 0.639. Right behind him, uh, and he had like 377 appearances, 241 goals, by the way. Uh, Mo Salah is second, 213 appearances, 135 goals, 0.634. And third is the biter, Luis Suarez, 133 appearances, 82 goals, 0.617. I really thought, um, I mean, when I think of goal scorers going way back, I mean, since I followed, like, the team, I mean, the names that come to my mind are always, like, Aldridge and Rush. Uh, Aldridge is actually fourth. Rush is, like, uh, 4, 5, 10th over here, right behind Owen, and they're at, like, the point fives and stuff like that. Aldridge is point six zero six in that ranking over there. So, I thought that was... Uh, kind of like interesting. Uh I do not understand the whole Benayun thing, but that's just me. Okay, so let's talk about the week. Um The few days passed, and then let's look at uh, the lineups moving forward. So the Watford game, probably like the ideal scenario. It almost looked like, why do we need any Brazilians? Well, obviously Bobby had the, the, the hat trick, uh, but great performance overall. I don't think there's much to complain about, but that's when... Bickler comes in. Uh, what do you say, Bickler, about the game?
1: I mean, that was great, right? I mean, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I try to keep it in perspective. I'm happy because usually we're shite when we get off international breaks. So to come in and with a somewhat depleted midfield, knock in five feels really good, right? Um, I also want to be realistic and say that that's probably a team that's going to get relegated this year and is playing with a brand new coach. And like it's fourth string center backs, so like I I'm like trying to play it right in the middle. I mean it was great win. It's I mean those those types of win are I've always got a soft spot for Bobby. So seeing him come back and get a hat trick was awesome. Um, I anything any sign of life and hope I can grasp onto for Naby Kata, uh is a good thing. Um, and I thought he actually had a relatively good game. Um, so yeah, there are
0: lots of positives. What do you say, galley? I mean, I there were I thought, I mean, a lot of positives to come from it. The first time in a long time I was able to lean back and watch the game, and that's a really rarity for me. And we were talking in our new actually Discord fan channel, like you know, during the game, and it was kind of like hard to find anything to complain about. We were able to get the substitutions, and I did not understand the first one to be honest with you. So we'll probably talk about that, but at least we got to rest. You know our backs probably for the Champions League game and everything. But what do you make of the game overall? We scored lots of goals.
2: It felt really good. They all scored up front and everyone ran wild. So how can we complain? Uh, to Paul's point, they were. A, this is a team that is a championship level team at best. How they came up surprised me. It just means the championship was less competitive last year than I thought. If that if this team could have finished second. And to think this team couldn't beat Norwich is even scarier. That's how poor that level of how, – how big of a difference there is in the gulf of competition. But really, that was a team that looked like it was coached by, like, your senile grandfather because they were awful. They didn't defend. <laughs> they weren't comfortable on the ball. They actually did nothing positive there was about 50 minutes where I thought the announcers were going to start talking about the most random things. It was like 20 minutes into the game and they were already getting on with like the idea that this was a blowout and the game was still kind of close because you could just see the gulf of talent and just how the game was being played. So I don't know what to take out of it because there was moments of brilliance between Mo's pass, Sadio's finish, Mo's goal. Bobby being in all the right places, but really at any moment, they could have just zoomed in on the manager and the Tinkerman himself looked as if he was like, why am I here? And will I still have a job by Thanksgiving? And if I do, do you think the Puzos will give me my Christmas bonus?
0: It reminded me of games where it's like um... – like an early blowout in like football, and sometimes you, or like a rain delay on freaking like baseball or something where they're just like trying to make like small talk because it was the game was like too easy and embarrassing to talk about. Uh, I mean, they were all over Rose and he did look terrible. I did not realize he was there. I guess like going into the game, I was slightly worried just because that's what I do as a lifestyle, and also it's you know when a new coach comes in, you know, everybody's trying to be like, you know, like it's almost like, you know, reboots everything. You know, the processor is faster. High drive is faster. So I was kind of like thinking there would be something like that and they would have like a bit more of like a fire lit under them and stuff. But it just looked complete opposite. It just looked like they had no idea what they were doing. Is that mostly because of us or is uh, what for this bad, Paul? I mean, I just think they're that bad.
1: Like I said, I think they're like – they're pretty depleted across the back line defensively. They're not with their best players anyway, but I mean, I think it's, I've, I don't know if you can have one without the other. Like, I think it's probably, I think it's probably a scenario both. Like we're a tough team to play. Who wants to play us? Also Watford's really bad. I mean, I don't think those are like mutually exclusive ideas. I think they come together and I think we were really good. Um, I think the thing that was encouraging to me was that the energy levels were good. Things looked sharp. I mean, oftentimes when we come off international break, things just look slower and sluggish. And we knew that we were missing loads of people anyway. So, I mean, that was good to see those players, that group of players playing together with that kind of crisp interplay. And I just thought, I mean, it looked it looked good. Spacing looked good. Movement looked good. Um, but, yeah, Watford's a bad team for sure. And uh, I don't know, man. I don't really have – I know Danny Rose has is, is kind of come under it because he was bad and he he's clearly overweight. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I have a tough time taking a dig at Danny just knowing that he's had a pretty public battle with uh, his mental health. And, I don't know, one of the side effects of antidepressants is weight gain. So maybe that's a thing. I, I also just – I mean, for me it's like – 31 year old guy who's seen better days. I just don't feel comfortable going after Danny Rose. I'm a bit concerned from him because I like I know he doesn't enjoy football anymore. So my one I do wonder what he's still doing in the game, personally. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the extent of my Danny Rose stuff. Um, but yeah, Watford's Watford's not great. Yeah, They're not I again. Mean, last team.
0: time I saw Rose, he was in a room talking to Jose Mourinho about <laughs> not being too happy and stuff like that. I had not seen much of him since, to be honest. But two things I wanted to talk about the game. And then I figured, like, we will kind of like move forwards and talk about, you know, the upcoming games, the lineups and stuff like that. So, first off, obviously, and I don't know if all the readers, listeners right now, if you guys have an ad, uh, go to the website and check out, like, Ken's piece on. Uh, Mo Salah's contract and stuff like that because obviously it's the talk it would probably normally be the talk but he's playing out of his mind and which kind of like makes it even a bigger topic I mean this is like him so far and you know he could have I guess like eight and eights, and this would be like the record breaking if he scores against Madrid we were assuming he's gonna play against Atletico Madrid tomorrow. Gally, let me go with you. I mean, way structure, blah. And obviously, we talked about this before. It's a lot of conversation with being like the FSG out people and FSG in people and stuff like that. We talk about you know money being spent or you know uh, kind of like digging in and spending too much money and stuff like that. In terms of waste structure and stuff, isn't he at this point kind of like earned the right to be paid whatever? Well, whatever is
2: a Ridiculous number because that could be any number. It could be five hundred thousand dollars a week. It could be so whatever doesn't make sense now. Should or does he deserve three hundred, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars? You know, three hundred fifty thousand pound a week contract. When we weigh in bonuses and different structures, I believe he does. I I think it's time for Liverpool to write set their wage structure and what I mean by that is they've done a good job of keeping fair and moderate increases for all their players within reason of performance and they've done that even with Virgil and Allison and great great players by keeping them just even with each other in slight increments here's the thing one guy has now jumped everybody on the ship Mo Salah is playing at a level that is fair to say at a different level than everyone else at the club in his position and his, his, in his state of the game. And he should be compensated for that. So if that means having to give him another 125,000, $150,000 a week, more than everyone else at the club, I think you can do that now and you can justify it when they look for their pay rises and act as if you don't have to pay them that until they reach those heights. I just think he's moved to a different level that this club has ever seen. And I know that's crazy to say. I think right now he might be the highest level star Liverpool's ever had since the game has become so marginalized and globalized when it comes to pay.
0: It's almost like he's made it easier to... Raises wages and be able to justify it though, right, Paul? I mean, in terms of like the performance, you look at you know, he's like kind of like Ali saying he's almost like above and beyond at this point, so it's not like you know, it's very easy to justify and say, Well, I mean, you see it on the field right here, here is the money kind of thing.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I <clears throat> it, it's weird to me, I'm not like I don't really understand why we're having such a huge conversation about his contract. I mean, he's got like two years left on his contract. It's still a ways out. I mean, I, my guess it's a combination of the fact that he's clearly the best player in the world right now. And also people are short on avenues to go after FSG. I think it's a combination of those two things. Like, And and probably the new castle takeover has something to do with it because like now everybody views this as a clear arms race. Right. And we're worried about hanging on to our best player. Um, I think, uh, our ownership has proven over time that we, we work strictly off analytics. However, that being said for every piece of data, there's an outlier. And I think that we've proven that we will pay over the odds for outliers. Right. I mean, if you look at what we did the year we brought in Allison, BBD, we, we look at all these things. I think it's like I have no reason to feel like this isn't going to be sorted. And the other thing is I think people are on are, are forgetting that most of our contracts, we have a we have a rage, yes, we have a wage structure, but I think we're also forgetting that most of these contracts are pretty uh they seem to be a complex web of performance-related bonuses in there, depending on the player. So, you know, like all indications, everything I've read is that Moe's actually making almost double his base salary based on performance-based stuff. So, I mean, it, it's all gonna come down to the player. Like, what where is Mo at? Where's his head at? Is he happy here? Does he want to stay here? What does he think is enough for him, right? Like, I don't think. Uh, Mo's a very unusual combination of power and humility Like uh, that we don't see in a lot of players So not to say that I think we're going to do him wrong Or try to be cheap I don't think we will But I don't think he's the type of guy That's going to come with too close fists to a table either So um, I just I find it It's weird to me that we're talking about this It's two years out I don't know Maybe I'm just being grumpy I mean it's possible too so, I'm sure. the
0: grumpy hats, but you can be yeah. the one that's grumpy. That works. Uh, keeps the question I don't know. I feel like it's uh, maybe because of his performance. Uh, Newcastle. That's a good point. I just not that I see him going there. I feel like if Mo goes anywhere from Liverpool, it would not be in the Premier League. It would be you know either you know PSG or you know. I can't oh, see him going anywhere. That, to be
1: perfectly honest, I, I cannot see him going no, it's,
2: anywhere. It, it, it's purely yeah. – it's only, it's only Barcelona or Madrid, and he wouldn't go to Barcelona to be broke and play with a bunch of 18-year-old kids waiting to win. And maybe he might go to Madrid someday if he really wanted to do that. But honestly, is he ever going to have as much enjoyment getting whistled at in Madrid and all white by fans who can barely pronounce his name and could care less about who he is or what he's about? than he would be at Anfield on a Sunday afternoon getting screamed at by 50,000, 60,000 people singing his name. And it it won't be the same. It won't be the same if he plays in Germany. It won't be the same if he ever plays in Italy again. He knows what he has here. He just wants to get his money. He deserves his money. He'll get it.
0: I think so, too. I feel like this is going to be sealed pretty soon. And you might be right, Paul. It might be just some, you know, uh, feel to the fsgi conversation and stuff. too. So let me get to the second one. I want to read, like, I kind of want to get your guys take on this and the, like the listeners right now and people online as well. What maybe it's just a defender of in me, but the call, the offside onside call on our third goal, uh, where, you know, the defender like kind of like makes a lunge Cause Mo is coming behind him. Who is it? And who is in an offside position? But with the new rule that is not cold, similar to Mbappe's goal fiasco over there, what do you guys make of this rule? Because I think it's ridiculous. Maybe because I think as a defender, but I feel like if Mo is not there, the guy does not make that lunge. Hence that, you know, bad back pass. And obviously, like, Bobby just, like, slams it in, obviously. But, Yali, what do you say? I just... I don't know like I was like when I saw it and then afterwards they were showing the highlights, even Stitch did not get the treat right away because I was like, bro, this is going to get called off. No treat for you yet. So he's waiting. I'm waiting. We're watching. And then I was like, oh, I guess it's a goal. Here's a treat. Uh, So what do you make of it?
2: All right. So I scored dirty goals all my life. Goals kind of like that. Bouncing off goalies after after other defenders wanted offsides. So I'm an offensive player. So I'm going to say no offsides. But that's just being biased. The truth of the matter is they changed the law. They changed the law to get rid of the ambiguity and to get rid of the subjectiveness of it. So for that, the referee and VAR in that matter did the right thing in calling that a goal. They changed the law to say, we don't have to worry about the player from behind. If he or she did not, play into that play as in had direct contact with the ball make motion towards the ball or come in direct line of the goalkeeper or defender in playing that ball the defender's actions are theirs so he kicks the ball back to the goalie it bounces off him and bobby taps it in it's a goal
0: See, I, I have a problem with the law. I understand yeah. they're following the new rule. I have a problem with the law. For example, like, you know, like, boys are saying, like, not offside. Mo was not involved whatsoever. I totally disagree with that. Because as a defender, that dude knows Mo is lurking behind him. Does he you really hear know? footsteps. So if you know somebody's behind you, it's almost like, you know, like when the cross comes in, you don't know if somebody's behind you. You kind of hit it out to the corner anyway, because you don't know what's behind you. Over there, he does not lunge to the ball if Mo is not there. So Mo is in the play, and that's the part I guess I had a problem with and kind of like not a big fan of like that adjustment because I think it makes it even worse. And I know somebody was asking online. I think it was in the – I can't remember which group it was in, but how was that any different than when they take a shot – I think it was the Everton game, took a shot, came back from the goalie, to the wide side, the guy kicked it in. It was a goal, but he was offside because when the shots came in, he was in an offside position. How was that an indifference? He was not in the initial play, he's just tapping in a rebound. Am I just thinking too much as a defender over here, Paul? You're the striker, so you give your angle there. Um, I mean, no, I agree with
1: you pretty much. I mean, I think it just comes down to the fact that, like, why are we doing like what are we doing? Like, are we now changing laws to make things simpler and less ambiguous for referees, even if it doesn't make sense for the game? Like, that's my problem with it. It's like, we're doing, we're, we're trying to clean up the reffing, but like, it, it really, like, that's not, that's not how football's played. And it's confusing for the players. And I agree with Tim that like, you know, like, I don't think that move is made if, if he doesn't, Either sense that Mo's there, or figure that Mo's there ninety nine percent of the time. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the I think that's what the majority of us are sort of agreeing on is just the fact that like, it, by law the call was right. But should that should we be should that be a rule that like it just doesn't seem to to really
0: mesh with what we've done uh, historically in football. Yeah. I mean, David Jennings is a good point. I mean, it's too much to put on the refs to interpret if a player is interfering with play, just make it based on actual contact. And I understand that that probably helps them out, but it goes back to my original question. Then why is the guy that's coming up? I mean, I guess Mo never came in contact over there. So that would be the difference compared to like a rebound and stuff like that. I'm, I know I just don't like the rule. Like I said, you could just be the defender and me. I just want the guy to get like kind of like everybody's take on it. Go ahead, Gally.
2: Well, I just think in this situation it's one of those awkward ones. And I, I actually agree with David about, you know, the fact that if there's not contact, it's hard to call it because how do you how do you justify it? But I, I, I also agree with David when he's saying like it's not about whether it should be the rule cuz i I'm, I'm arguing whether and why they didn't allow why they allowed the goal it's because the law says they should and the refs did their job they upheld the rules whether that's the right rule or not we do this with officiating and this was my whole problem about var it was an argument i made over a decade ago about nfl football i've always argued that once you have instant replay right you remove the requirement for officials to make immediate decisions that make them good or bad. That once you give them replay, you allow the human mind to know that there's something to protect them and cover them on the back end. So it makes officiating harder. And I think football, because they've gotten so much criticism over VAR, and it's and the way that they've actually attributed it to the game, that they've tried to change the laws to make officiating on the field easier so that when VAR is used, it won't make on-field officiating look so bad. When really we should be about bang, bang calls at the moment, because without video replay, that's what you get. You get great officiating or poor officiating, but at least you have one type of officiating. And now I feel like the goalposts to steal a football term are always moved. And let's be
1: honest. One more pause in the game, especially on goal decisions. is not fair to stitch.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is like the
1: point of this all. Like a lot of us have household pets that are loyal and don't have a dog in the fight. No pun intended. (laughs) But like, this is like stitch is a good boy. It's
0: not fair. Yeah. So, so those of you guys who don't know, stitch basically gets a, Treat for every goal we score, and he hates VAR with a passion because he kind of knows what's going on based on the commentary. Uh he does not look at TV for some reason. Dad's excited, but also slightly on TV, he will not watch it. But he knows based on commentary that something important has happened, a goal has happened. Not to mention I'm yelling or something. I wasn't yelling as much because it was a 6:30 game. Uh but uh, yeah, and then the bAR. we kind of have to wait wait it out. I think,
2: because... I think we need we need a stream of stitch during one of these matches as they score a big goal. and then, as he gets his treat, <laughs> the
0: problem is. <laughs> The problem with that, with that is uh, Stitch thinks, uh, I, you know, obviously I'm always on the edge. I mean, I, like I say, this was like the first time in a long time. He was in shock. He thought the game was an honor or something because I was leaning back. Since I'm always like on the edge watching games, He's always like on top of me, like right beside me, you know, like he knows I'm concerned or something like that. And I'm like, bro, just give me space because, you know, (laughs) the team needs me here. I got to watch TV over here. But he's like, man, you look concerned and stuff like that. So it's a constant uh, drama. So when he wants to go out, I'm like, yes, yes, go out. And then, you know, he'll hear me yelling, he'll come in, he's like, it's snack time. Yeah, it's a whole ordeal. I could probably re- record it and make it an entire podcast over here for people to watch, but I don't know how many people want to watch me like yell and scream and sit on the edge of the chair. So let's look ahead now to obviously tomorrow first uh, in the Champions League game. Uh, I think it kind of helps us, I feel, when we talk about, you know, like resting, rotating and stuff like that, I almost feel like the tomorrow's game is where we're going to see most of the rotation if we're going to, because we have five games before then. And then afterwards is the Preston game where it is nothing but rotation for the most part. So Bickler, let's start with you this time. What do you expect in terms of lineup tomorrow? Do you expect any changes? Obviously the Brazilians. Uh, come, come on. You, you don't really
1: expect rotation tomorrow. gonna. <laughs> <Like, we're, laughs> We got he's hot he's three times in a week team. again. Let's roll. Uh, I mean, I think the only rotation you're gonna see is the Brazilians coming back. Allison and Fab. I think. Mean, I mean, you're gonna see that. Robo and Trent got rested. I mean, they got pulled early, got subbed off early, so they'll probably be back. I think it's gonna be the same team for the most part, man. I think Fab's gonna slot in, move Hendo up a little bit, but um, I mean, maybe you see Milner instead of Naby in this one, uh, especially with some, yeah. You know, that can be a chippy game. Maybe we want to have somebody more physical than Naby in there. Although I thought Naby worked his socks off and was pretty physical second half. So um, I don't know. I You know, I can see that being another switch, but I don't think there's going to be much rotation at all.
0: How about you, Gally? I mean, do we see – I was thinking Milner over Keita as well just because it's Atletico Madrid and it will be a physical game. It's just like their style as well. So probably a better – person to put in there is Milner and then you can always bring like K10 stuff off the bench uh, or Ox or whatever if you need to um I guess do we still like see the trio up fronts do you put Jota in there I feel like coming from a hat trick it's kind of hard to rest Bobby
2: Yeah I think it would be hard to rest Bobby I wouldn't be su- I wouldn't be overly surprised if Mané got sat for this match in in Madrid just to get if Jota if is 100% healthy because I think he is going to start rotating some of those guys now that Bobby is fully back to fitness and we saw his importance pressing from the top. I think that was a huge part of why we look so good. Finally, again, why do we look so good defensively? I don't know. Our best defensive player started from the nine position. Um, It worked out pretty well, but I, I could see Bobby starting. I also think it's two days. So I think he could switch up a few different things. I'm with Paul. If if there's rotation, we'll all be shocked. I think there should be. I I think I think honestly that probably Gomez should probably start at center back with Van Dyke um, or Kanate, One of the two. I, I think Matip should be rested before the United game. I just think asking this many games is a little too much early in the year. But I think you play as tough as you can in the midfield. I'd start Kata because. I think when Naby Keita plays good performances and doesn't give you a reason to question his performance, he should play again when you don't have a better player to start in front of him. And if that player is James Milner after playing 80 minutes, including 25 at right back when you could have taken him out. If he had to start in Madrid, he should have come out on the 60-minute mark, and you should have brought Necco in at that point. Why send him to right back unless you were planning to give him a break in midweek?
0: I found that substitution confusing I was almost glad in a way especially you know we talked about like Robo you know playing non-stop for Scotland during the break as well and stuff like that and it was probably you know good to get in the rest and you know the Greek Scots are out there playing I was shocked to see okay like you said if you're gonna put Milner if Nico was available why why didn't he come in initially and I know Milner was not too happy to come out. I didn't know if he was not too happy to come out because he wanted to keep playing because it's kind of like a fun game to play if you're up 5-0 and, you know, things are rolling. Or it was maybe he thought the same thing. He was like, shit, if you're going to put the ego in, then why did you make me suffer as right back? Because I'm sure he does not enjoy uh, playing right back. I think in terms of rotation, and David Jennings mentioned the same thing, uh, risky playing Milner twice a week. I mean, in terms of when we talk about risky playing a lot of times what's the first name that comes to mind Bickler I don't know why oh I thought you'd be all over this uh Matip is what's probably my biggest concern because I mean he is key to that defense yeah. and on the ball as well uh but man I worry so much about something happening to him because I really feel like he's has been over the season like one of the best overall performances. You know, if you look at game by game and give people ratings, I would think his average would be pretty darn high.
2: He's basically season. the only person above him right now for player of the year at Liverpool is Mo.
0: period. Yeah, I would agree to that because, I mean, in terms of consistency and what he's done and what he's brought, I feel like, yeah, he has been, you know – like instrumental, like you know, we gotta bubble wrap that guy because he's the one that, if anything, could get hurt. So, do, but at the same time, is, this is does not sound like a good game to kind of like uh, try out Gomez or even like you know put Konate in there with you know not enough experience. Are you? I know you're like the main concern when we don't do rotation is massive. That's why I figured you'd be all over it. What do you say? Yeah,
1: I, yeah, maybe it was too obvious. I was like, I think I was still in, tri- <laughs> I think I'm still in trivia mode, but yeah, I mean, obviously that's a huge concern for me. And um, I think we all know this since the last champions league match when I flipped out and everybody was telling me to calm down. So,
2: yeah. So I'll just say this, this is the match I think is the game for the rotation. And the reason is, is, they actually don't attack from any form of uh, pressing style. They're Atletico is going to try to do what they've done to us every time, which is either sit back and wait to hit us or hit us on set plays, etc. So I think this might be the game where you have to rotate. This might be the game that's destined to give them a break because I'm pretty sure that if Gomez gets in there with Virgil, yeah. And a couple, you know, and they set everything up. I think we'll be fine in the back four. At the end of the day, we really need to make sure he's healthy in March and April and May. More importantly than picking up points.
0: And that's the thing, Cosgrove is saying that you know he says Samatev so gave me to United and you get ten days off, but I don't think Joel controls that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, here's the <laughs> he other thing: you didn't have more. to. The other thing is you didn't have to start him versus Watford. I mean, let's face it, Watford hasn't lit anyone up this year and like doesn't look like they're going to. Like, you know, so if you like you you don't have to rotate, like, you know, this doesn't have to be a rotational week. You can split this thing up. There's enough chemistry with that team, like, and spot start some people. That's my problem with it. Like, like if you're gonna complain about not being able to rotate motif, like you can't do it versus Watford, like, I
0: don't know. And I think we kind of say that. In terms of like you know being okay with rotation, I mean, uh, do we agree that this is does not look like a must-win? Uh, I'm almost I, I think at least to me, not only because it's the league, but it's I think it is because it's United. The weekend game is so much more important, so I rather keep that ahead. I think one thing that helps is the fact that it's five days away and kind of like when you know, Jamie Harrison saying, you know, the fact that we get five subs enables us to kind of like you know. If Klopp doesn't, does that that
1: matter though? I mean, they're saying five subs is massive. Is it massive when we
2: don't ever use five subs? Is it it
1: massive when we don't
2: sub before the 80th minute? Like, we played 48 hours ago and we've seen the guy play with it three, two, three times in a week. And then we've seen him pull a muscle and be out for six to eight weeks. And we've seen it four times in his four years here. Yeah. I mean,
1: five subs doesn't, doesn't, I'm, Fill my heart with like comfort. I, I'm I
2: all know. for the five subs, but that just means that that means that there's three extra times a game that I can
0: yell at Klopp to put Taki in. True. I mean, I'd be, dis- be disappointed. Like, insist on this three sub thing so that maybe we'd get used to more of a rotation. Cause I mean, just think about this weekend's game. And I know we say, you know, like Klopp waits a long time, and he does. That's probably, you know, one thing that you know we've criticized them on the past over here on the podcast several times in terms of waiting too long to do substitutions. Even this week I thought I understand once they use the third one, you know, and if something happens an injury, now you're down to 10 men. But honestly against what it looked like we could be like eight guys out there and we'd still be fine. So why wait that long even well, to you know take Milner out and stuff.
2: They they were playing with basically seven and a half men after halftime. <laughs> And, and one and a half was Sissoko because he was the only person after half that touched the ball in the entire second half. And each time it was just kicking our defenders on the back of the hill as they, as they got rid of the ball because he actually was trying. Like Sissoko was the only player on, the, on their entire team in the second half that put a step forward or even tried to do anything for them. I mean, really, that Watford team looked like they're ready to play in the championship already.
0: They sure did. I don't know if Ranier is going to be able to turn that thing around. I mean, make Saar the new Vardy or something like that. But it just, they just did not look like it's a lot of rejects came together to make one big team. But I don't know if that's going to pay out for them in the long run. So let's do some score predictions or at least result predictions for tomorrow's game first. Bickler, let's start with you. Uh, what do you expect mm-hmm. out of the game tomorrow before we move on to the United game?
1: Uh, I will go 1-0, good guys. I think it's going to be cagey. It's going to be disgusting like most Atletico games, uh, and it's not going to be fun to watch. Yeah,
0: Ali, what do you have after this very optimistic and <laughs> pleasing <laughs> prediction over here? What do you have for a prediction tomorrow?
2: So I'm gonna do something I haven't done on this podcast yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna predict a draw, score draw,
0: one-one. I was gonna go with one-one two. And I hate to say it, I think I would be okay with that. If that game and I guess it depends on how that one one comes about as well. Uh, but I think as a result, uh, I would be okay with that. Obviously, the good thing about you know somehow pulling a win tomorrow would be. Golden down the road, so that you know when we come to the, you know, the fifth and sixth game in the group stages, maybe we will be able to treat it like a league cup game, and not throw starters out there like we did. Like, of course, this is gonna I was get Tickler going like, over here because of the Jumbo injury. Like, but I just,
1: how, how, <laughs> how do I, do I get criticized? Like
2: forward how do I negative?
1: get criticized for being negative and not like positive enough? And then you guys could like
2: predict draws.
0: Man, well, this is all, some bullshit. <laughs> I'm wearing the Gran that's why it kind of goes with the theme today. I show. wouldn't
2: be that surprised if tomorrow's a nil-nil draw to be honest. I can see this being an awfully ugly match where both sides play bo- play tough both ways and it just there's nothing happening cuz I think they're going to sit back because this isn't a great Atletico team. Like they're not playing great to start the La Liga campaign. They aren't scoring a lot of goals. They have this weird thing with Griezmann back and Suarez. It's still not playing well, just like it wasn't in Barcelona. They don't know what to do uh, with the young talent that they have. You know, Jao Felix still isn't working for them. and They don't know if he should come off the bench or start. So I they're an awkward team in transition, but they're still the type of team that makes it awkward for us.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I think it's a rare team that matches our physicality. Uh, and that's probably why we have usually a tougher time with teams like that because a lot can't. I mean, you look at, you know, this Watford game, for example, this weekend, and it just looked like men against boys. And there's it, that happens a lot when we're – and, you know, even in that Watford game, you can tell that if this team is not all in for that, you know, physical – full-blown non-stop go mode the moment they kind of like slow down even Watford started to create chances and stuff like that so this team has to kind of go 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 for you know to be able to play the way they do see that's kind that kind of optimism that we're looking for David Cosgrove says 3-0 uh for Liverpool for this game I don't know to me that's too optimistic but I do think with all the you know, talents out there in terms of finishers, I would think we would see some goals. But like I say, I would be okay with a draw moving forward because to me, the biggest game is United, uh, especially if you guys do not know the listeners or ones tuning in right now. My brother is a United fan. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me how. Who knows what brothers do? But um, so this is kind of like a key game and it's United and I think it's huge for the league. My only fear is this could put Ole out of the job. And I don't know if I want that, because God forbid if they get somebody who knows what they're doing with the people that they have. Uh, how do you see this one coming up, Gally? Well, I see it being really fun on Sunday
2: morning. I see that much. Um, I think it'll be stressful, it'll be irritating. I too don't want Ole to lose his job. That said. I'm not that worried that they get a world-class manager because I think he'd have part of the problem that the inept manager they have now can't handle, which is how do you deal with a team that's unbalanced and isn't really built to succeed but is built to look great on paper? Um, I think Ronaldo was the final piece of Ole losing his job. No, because I think he was actually being – they were building something, whether they knew it or not, whether he was trying to do it or not. They were actually acquiring some young talent, different players, trying to develop a style, and then they just threw it all in because they were so afraid Ronaldo was going to play five minutes with Manchester City and might lift a trophy with him. And they were so afraid that they sold everything they'd done for – I mean, they've made every mistake you could make since Fergie left. And it's been brilliant to watch. And honestly, hiring Oli was one of those mistakes. But somehow getting Bruno, getting Pogba to start playing well, signing an older Cavani to bring stability, bringing up Greenwood, they were starting to put pieces together. They lucked into Varane. It looked like they were putting some pieces together, and then they go out and they drop it all in the middle, push all their chips in, and say, "Yeah, we'll we'll bring in Ronaldo. That'll make us better." And it's completely rolled backwards. I honestly believe they are worse than they were in week two before they had signed Ronaldo.
0: What's your take, Bigler? I mean, the odd thing is, you know, obviously it doesn't fit what they want to do. And But here's the thing, I mean, obviously, if you're going to go out and get a player like Ronaldo, you're not going to expect Ronaldo to change now, first of all, after all this. And that's not why you're getting him. You're not getting him so you can mold him into to fit your team. You kind of have to adjust everything you're doing to fit Ronaldo because you have one of you know, the all-time best players on your team, even though he's a lot older, obviously, but still, you know, the dude is good and in shape and everything like that, but he's never going to be the guy who's going to press and stuff like that. So you have to change everything around him. But if you look at it, he still has a bunch of key goals for him. Cause really otherwise they're kind of dreadful. Maybe they would never be in those situations for Ronaldo to score and save them. If you know, he wasn't there and they had like a proper team that plays as a team, but at the same time you look at the other side of it. And I know like in terms of like, you know, you talked to a few United fans And they're like, well, you know, he's the only guy who has has finished this year. So what do you make of that experiment? Obviously, they just got him so that he wouldn't go to City, clearly. But what do you make of it? I mean, I think
1: it's handcuffed that team. I mean, even though he's scoring goals, if you look at the goals he's scored there, a lot of them are just, you know, he's a smart player. He's played for a long time. He knows where to be. And when the ball drops, I mean, a lot of those things are just clinical finishes from very short distances. Um, The axis of that team and what made that team successful is Bruno Fernandez. And essentially all the flow is going through Ronaldo at this point. Um, And it's all forced through it. Bruno is trying to force the ball through to him. So, I mean, I'm fine with it because to me, they're a thousand times harder to play against when, when everything is actually going through Bruno. Um, So fine with it. I mean, Ronaldo's annoying. He's, like, he's just super obnoxious. I mean, so I, I think it's almost like watching, like, WWE. It's a perfect fit for going back to that that team that way. And then, I mean, I'm, I'm good with it. Um, I I don't know if I'm, like, as far down the scale as Cosgrove, where I think everybody on United are shit. What scares me about United is we struggle with teams that counter against us, and they have a ton of pace. So that's the thing that scares me about United. Got a ton of pace across the board up top. They can counter us. Um, So that's the thing I would worry about us. The one thing that makes me feel better is knowing that Ole is not a tactical mastermind enough to copy Brentford and Chelsea and City and the teams that did a good job of like sort of pinging that ball into the the right side of our defense consistently. So here's the hoping he doesn't copy that and we
0: should be fine. But I think, like, the biggest criticism he gets, like, if you ever, you know, watch, you know, like, United Fan Station and stuff like that and, like, listen to United fans is the fact that with all these players they have, uh, like, world-class players in midfield like Pogba and, you know, Bruno and stuff like that, they still play this, like, ridiculous long ball all the time and getting back Rashford was not a good thing because I think that's kind of, like, player we will, like, struggle with. The line, you know, setting that back line and not letting them go is going to be the key because that is all they're doing right now is playing the long ball and hoping somebody makes that run. And that's kind of how they scored the second game uh, against like Leicester as well, like Rashford. And I agree. I kind of worry about those. Even in our, you know, peak. we kind of like struggle playing at Old Trafford as well. It's just the environment and stuff like that. The only good thing going right now, I guess, is... The patience meter is a lot lower in the fans. So, if you can get them into a situation where they, you know, we take the lead and they're kind of look out of sorts, you can kind of get the fans on your side and affect them. It almost like becomes they become like Arsenal like fans in the stadium.
2: They don't, they don't press anymore though. And that's their biggest thing. They have no effort and no work rate whatsoever in the midfield. Even McTominay and Maddich, these players who used to play hard, they do nothing. They, 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 they honestly, they look lost without their Fred. That's what they looked like at Leicester. You know, they were out there and they were like, "Where's Fred? This doesn't make any sense. Where's that guy running around doing nothing in the middle of the field? Where's Fred? Fred?" <laughs> like they were just yelling off in the corner. Like <laughs> I, I can see it. But they did. They looked lost without Fred. That's where they're at. I don't think that they're rough shot with, like, world beaters all over the pitch because they don't have a player in the midfield. And, and Paul hit on it, right? He talked about Bruno Fernandes. But here's the thing. We all watch the Euros, right? Portugal looked a good side at times when Bruno Fernandes is sitting on the bench. You know Why? And you're smart enough to know he doesn't play with Ronaldo because they don't fit because each of their weaknesses is not doing enough on the other side of the ball. So I'm not sure that Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandez will ever work. So what United did was go out and hire and re-sign a legend to make sure he didn't embarrass them across town so they could marginalize the best player they had signed since said legend left. Thank you, United, for hiring Ed Woodward. And good
0: night. Yeah, and I think, you know, this entire summer with all the protests and stuff, they almost had to kind of go out there and spend money somewhere, anywhere, you know? And then when, you know, they got Sancho and when the opportunity came, uh Woodward and all, they were like, yeah, I guess might as well. That will keep the fans off our back a little bit. They- and, you know, that makes like the Glazers fork out a bit more money for a little bit. But so... This is a good question. So David Cosgrove says, Would anyone off that squad start in our eleven? And he says he just does not see it. It's a good one, and I know it'll be controversial. So let's throw Dickler under the bus. Pickler, what do you have? I mean, you know my answer to this. I know that's why I'm coming I, to you. <laughs> I think I think it is
1: so I think it is rose tinted glasses that everybody puts on when we look at this team. Like, nobody likes this answer. I know he's not a likable guy. Bruno Fernandes walks into any starting 11 in the entire world. He walks in the PSG. I don't – I'm like, I don't care. Like, he walks in the city. Like, he walks into any starting 11 in the entire world, in my
0: opinion.
2: He walks in every starting 11 but Portugal with Ronaldo.
1: Well, you know what? I I don't even consider that a football issue. I consider that a political issue, like straight up. I think that's politics. But, yeah, I mean, and I think it's laughable how hard Liverpool fans work to discredit Bruno Fernandes. Since he's joined the Premier League, he's tops in the entire Premier League in goal involvement. I don't know if that's, like, maybe he lost that with Mo's form and Ronaldo coming in the last month or two. But, um, like, everybody makes a big deal about his penalties. But, I mean, if you look at statistics across the board, he's the heartbeat of that team. And I think he walks in and he makes any team better.
0: I agree. And this is always like a kind of like a tricky question to answer because, you know, you look at what the player is and what they're doing now. But I think, yeah, I mean, as the third midfielder, uh, Bruno would be unreal. I mean, we constantly, you know, talk about, you know, instead of Keita having Bruno over there, for example, nothing against Keita, but would be an upgrade. And I know here's the thing. You know, you look at how Bruno plays now, but you look at how that team plays now in United. I feel like Bruno, if he's playing on this team, would fit with the rest of the team when it comes to, you know, like the running, the pressuring and the defending that we require out of the midfielders. I mean, he was a player that, you know, was rumored with us back in the day. And I we work I mean, I know I was partially hoping that we would go for it. Uh, we did not end the season after, obviously, he came to United. But I feel like out of that 11, you know, Cosgrove mentions like, you know, uh, I mean, definitely not Maguire, uh, especially not in his recent form. Uh, and I don't think he's like a good fit overall. Um, and the other it's players, yeah, you can like see them go yeah. in, but not replace some of yeah. our players like Rashford yeah. and stuff like that. Do you take him, Gally? Yeah. No, I, I, I
2: question what – well, he wouldn't play for our side because he, I don't believe that Bruno Fernandez could play in Jurgen Klopp's system, which is why he's not a Liverpool player in my opinion. I, I don't think he could because I don't think he would press enough. I don't think he would defend enough. I don't think Jurgen Klopp would play with four attackers, which is what you have to do to have a flair player play, play like him behind the front three. Um and he couldn't play either of the wings and he wouldn't play through the center. So he, he just, he doesn't fit in Jurgen's four, three, three or his style of football. That said, I think he's a world-class player. That's really, really great. Personally. I think if there was one player on the entire United squad that could fight for a spot to break our first 11, it would be Mason Greenwood because I believe Mason Greenwood strikes a better ball than maybe anyone in the Premier League. Because when he hits a ball flush, whether it's on the wing, on his left foot, his right foot with his head, outside the box, inside the box, it always looks like it has a chance to go in. And he's still 20 years old. And is scary, scary, scary good. That's why when they talk about signing all these great, great players, it makes no sense to me. Like, I feel like they have a striker that they need to groom and they can just keep making mistakes and bring in, they should sign Harry King just to stop Mason Greenwood from being the best striker in England. Because for me, he could fight his way into our team. And that's the only player in their entire setup that I think could actually argue away or fight away into our, our 11.
0: I think, I mean, I agree with Cosgro. I, I mean, yeah, he's a good player in terms of taking it into the squad yeah i'm with you but i don't see him like into the 11 which i think like what he was initially trying to ask i i mean one thing that i think they have and you know more power to them i hope they keep going like this they sign a lot of attacking players that you know even greenwood you know you see when lingard comes in uh same thing with martial plays rashford they have almost, you know, we always complain about all oh, depth, depth, depth. And I think this is when it backfires for them because when they come in, I almost see a lot of these guys keep cutting and taking a shot, keep cutting and taking a shot. And there is no team play and interplay among the forwards because it feels like everybody's trying to kind of uh, make the most of their opportunity that they're going to get, kind of thing, probably, especially now. Where they know Ronaldo is going to get his freaking opportunity either freaking way. So one spot has automatically be taken out. But hey, more power to him. I hope they keep going like this. So, you were going to say something there else? Was a crazy, there was a crazy Greenwood
2: stat that came out. I forgot what it was last weekend. Like, it, it went back to last year, like April of last year, where he has been involved or scored basically as many goals as any player in the Premier League outside of Mo Salah. He he has actually been in huge form. If you look at his numbers this year, he has scored, I think it's six goals, three assists. He's put players on pressure. He scored at the end of last year. He's really kicked on for United to the point where he is the focal point of their offense outside of Ronaldo right now, even past Fernandez. So I I just think, I think he's really moved his game to a different level. So when I see the comments about, you know, two, three years on, I think he's scoring at the same clip and these same folks were asking for Bobby to be benched and for us to play Jota. And then they complain about his goal involvement. So I, I just think it's the, it's Paul's rose colored glasses that we look through. That make us realize how much we love our players and kind of hate everybody else's.
0: Man, that therapy is freaking paying off. Uh, that's oh yeah, I mean. <laughs> we gotta get like a this therapist as a sponsor or something for the show. So Bigler let's get a score prediction from you as we wrap up the show this week.
1: Oh, I will say I'm gonna go three one us. Uh, I think that United is vulnerable defensively. Uh, they've got injuries, they're inconsistent. Um, I think that, I think we'll put some through and I think they'll probably get, they'll probably get some sort of ugly cheap goal
0: at some point late in the game. What do you have, Gally? 4-0. God damn, I thought Cosgrove was optimistic. Okay. Nope. I'm expecting like a wild game, I say 4-2 good guys, where every time we think the game is pretty much done, they get like a bullshit goal. So, I can't lean back, but at the end, we get the win, is what I'm hoping. Well, gentlemen, let's hope this time next week when we meet Monday, seven o'clock, I'll be telling you guys stories of how I ripped my brother to shreds after the United game. Uh, and then hopefully, a win against Atletico. But we said we would take a draw. So, at least I know I will take a draw. Well, thanks. Thank you guys. And thanks to all those listening, commenting, joining. Uh, if you have not done so already, Do join our Discord fan chat channel. Uh, We kind of like chat throughout the week about anything LFC, anything football really. And obviously during the game, uh, the game day chat as well. There was a lot of good stuff happening this week. So that was definitely nice to see. So uh, just message us so we can send you an invite. And then we go from there. Gentlemen, see you guys next week. Up the reds.